The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set out before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And I see many people who are young at heart, but not young enough perhaps to come to the children's time. Um, so we'll continue with the sermon. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Naaman, the protagonist in our reading from 2 Kings this morning, is an interesting character in the Bible. Although we only meet him this one time, we actually know a lot about him. We know that he was a powerful foreign soldier from Syria who had achieved fame on the battlefield and was therefore highly trusted by his king. We know he owned a young Hebrew slave girl, part of the spoils of war from his incursions into Israel. It is the slave girl that tells Naaman's wife that there is a prophet in Israel who could cure Naaman's leprosy. When he goes from Syria to Israel in search of healing, he takes a letter from his king and he offers the king of Israel 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of garments. With all the conversions and the current price of silver and gold, it would have been a value of around $4.5 million today. So Naaman knows something about violence and war. He owns this slave girl and likely a number of other slaves. He had access to and favor to, of the king, and he is rich or has access to some serious capital. Naaman has it made in every way except for this leprosy that afflicts him. And he is so desperate to be healed and to be saved that he has to cross a border to receive life-saving medical treatment. 
that he has to cross a border to receive life-saving medical treatment. That is a prospect that suddenly in this past week, millions of women and birthing people in the U.S. can relate to, but don't have the same fame, power, wealth, access, or privilege that Naaman did. What they do share with him is the same sense of desperation. The healing of Naaman is interesting and timely for many reasons. Like many other healing stories of the Bible, it involves physical healing and the restoration to community. But this healing story is also a story about ancient geopolitics. Don't go to sleep yet. You see, among the empires of the ancient Near East, Israel was by far the smallest and weakest. It was surrounded by Egypt to the south, where they were enslaved prior to the Exodus, Babylon to the east, who had defeated them and took them into exile, Persia further east, who defeated Babylon and then released the Israelites back to their homeland, and the powerful Assyrian empire to which Naaman belonged, which was right on their doorstep to the north. And so the great and powerful Naaman comes to weak little Israel for healing, but it is not in the king's power to grant it. Finally, Naaman has to come to the prophet Elisha, who instructs him to bathe in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman is annoyed because he wants the healing on his own terms. And so we also know about Naaman that he is entitled. But his aides convince him to do it, and he is healed, which is a testament to the power of the God of the Israelites, even greater than the mighty Assyrians. The remarkable Palestinian Lutheran pastor, Mitri Reheb, describes these dynamics in his book, Faith in the Face of Empire, the Bible through Palestinian eyes. He says that over the centuries, Palestine became the place where the different magnetic fields of the regional powers would collide, which is still true today. It has been a buffer zone and a battlefield between those empires. It has been occupied and divided countless times. He says it is, in fact, this context of ongoing oppression, forever living in the shadow of empire, which gives birth to Judaism, Christianity, and across the sea to Islam. Compared to the gods of all the great surrounding empires, this god of Israel appeared to be weak. This god seemed forever to be on the losing end, just like its people. God's weaknesses were shown in theirs, and their defeat was God's. This God was a loser. This God lost almost all wars, and its people were forced to pay the price of those defeats. But, he says, the revelation the people of Palestine received was the ability to spot God where no one else was about to see it. When God's people were driven as slaves into Babylon, they witnessed God accompanying them. When God's capital, Jerusalem, was destroyed and the temple plundered, they saw God there. When God's people were defeated, God was also present. The salient feature of this God was that this God didn't run away when his people faced their destiny, but remained with them, showing solidarity and choosing to share their destiny, which ultimately leads to Jesus revealing God on the cross. For the people of Palestine, this meant that defeat in the face of empire was not an ultimate defeat. It meant that a new beginning was possible. 
It enabled the people of Palestine to survive all defeats. It ensured that empires were incapable of celebrating their victories because while they crushed the people they occupied, they weren't able to crush their spirit. In this way, he says, this battleground of the empires, both ancient and modern, became holy ground. The biblical witness shows us a God whose power is made perfect in weakness, a God of great compassion who is present with us when we suffer, and not only that, but takes on our suffering as God's own, a God who knows our private and public defeats and is not embarrassed or ashamed of us, but remains right by our side, a God who is not offended by the smell of our desperation, a God who, when things are most desperate, when we are beset, pressed in, confused, endangered, and grieved, is right there with us. A God who can take three handfuls of water at baptism and make it a lifelong healing spring, and small bits of bread and wine and use it to nourish our very souls. And so we too can survive all defeats, all defeats, through the God of resurrection who is always bringing life out of death. It was not Naaman's power, privilege, wealth, or might that saved him. It was the mercy and compassion of God, which is indeed mightier and more powerful than all the empires of the world. Can we imagine a new future together, even as it seems that so many want to return us to the past, even as so many cling tightly to the power of empire and its false promises? Our reading from the prophet Isaiah is a gorgeous image of what might be. It is an image of Mother Jerusalem, which Isaiah shares with the exiles who are returning home from Babylon. And it says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious bosom. For thus says the Lord, I will extend prosperity to her like a river, and the wealth of the nations like an ever-flowing stream. And you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. I have been so grieved and angry in recent days at the violence and cruelty that our society inflicts upon its people. On this Independence Week Day weekend, I am aware how we have one foot in empire and one foot in the kingdom of God, and that this is not an easy place to be. We are oppressed and oppressor, victim and victimizer. We are both cruel and compassionate. We are complicit in oppression and yet strive for God's liberating hope and vision for the world. We don't like what we've become, but we don't have a collective vision for what could be. And so our fear and anxiety about the future turn us in on ourselves and send us reeling back into the past. But the past cannot save us. It can only instruct us on how not to make the same mistakes again. We feel stuck. And we are tearing one another apart in this stuck place. And yet our faith in the scriptures are full of images, stories, and visions of a world that could be. 
including this image of Jerusalem as a comforting mother. And would that all of our cities and countries and lands might be so abundantly loving, comforting, nourishing, embracing, and safe. It could be. It can be. Like the disciples, we are part of God's mission of healing and liberation. We are called, as it says in Isaiah 58, to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to share our bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into our houses, and when we see the naked, to cover them. It says, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer you. You shall cry for help, and God will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairers of the breach, the restorers of streets to live in. May it be so. May we go out with a loving boldness for the sake of the world. May we, claiming our spiritual inheritance birth long ago in an ancient land, see God at work in the world where no one else does. And may we return with reports of the power of God, bringing healing, wholeness, and liberation to our world. And Jesus will rejoice with us and say, Behold, I watch Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Amen.